0: Hi, I'm Dr. Fulu Balogun, also known as Folu for short. Hi,
1: I'm Dr. Oninye Balogun. We We are are the OncDocs.
0: Thank you for tuning in to our episode today.
1: Endometrial or uterine cancer is the fourth most common cancer among women in the United States it is also one of the cancers with the biggest differences in outcomes based on race. 84% of white women will live five years or more after an endometrial cancer diagnosis, but only 62% of black women can expect to survive for that amount of time. The Endometrial Cancer Action Network for African Americans, ECANA, is a group founded in December 2017 to create support Community and Empowerment for Any African-American Affected by Endometrial Cancer. This group was established by Determined Patient Advocates and the visionary Dr. Kemi Dahl, an Associate Professor of Gynecologic Oncology at the University of Washington. In this episode, we spoke with Adrian Moore, the President of ECANA, and members Michael Hopkins, Margie Willis, and Sean Smith to learn more about this dynamic organization and how they are impacting endometrial cancer. On today's episode, we're joined by the phenomenal women of Akana, the Endometrial Cancer Action Network for African Americans. If you haven't heard about this organization, I need you to perk up your ears because they are A group of determined women that came together for a very significant purpose. We are so honored today to be joined by four of their members. Mickey, can you please introduce yourself?
2: Thank you for having us. My nickname is Mickey. My name is Michael. I was diagnosed in 2019 with endometrial cancer, stage four. I became a member of ICANA by meeting Adrian via facebook group and then she reached out to me and she told me all about econo and what they were doing and then she was actually in houston about maybe not even a month later she had to be in houston for an event and said hey i'm going to be in houston you want to meet up and she was actually at a place that was maybe four blocks from my job And so we met up. I fell in love with her. We had a great conversation. And then that's how I became part of Econa. I'm also the mother of five wonderful adult children and four beautiful grandbabies.
1: Wonderful.
2: Adrienne? Hi, my name is Adrienne,
3: and I am a stage three endometrial cancer survivor, diagnosed in 2016. I come to Econa. In 2018, when I was finishing treatment, I was in search of something of people who looked like me who had experienced this cancer like myself. I was startled to learn that I was one of those persons, I was a black woman who didn't stand a chance of surviving this particular cancer. But because there was a physician who also knew that there were women out there like myself who were gonna be looking for other black women to support them. Dr. Dole said, hey, you know, would you like to become a part of my steering committee? And I didn't know what a steering committee was, but I knew that I believed in what it was that she was doing, which was trying to build community around survivorship of endometrial cancer in Black women. So I said yes, and I've been with Econa ever since. I'm so glad to still be here with all these wonderful women. Beautiful.
1: Margie?
4: Hi, I'm Margie Wilson. I was diagnosed in October of 2016, stage 1B, and Dr. Dole was my chemo doctor. So I met Dr. Dole during my journey. And I also experienced a doctor who did not listen to you. I mean, literally in 15 minutes, I was in and out of my appointment with him. I was on the table. He had checked me, and I was sitting in the other room registering to get my surgery. In 15 minutes. So that was probably my deer in headlight moment while I was digesting the word cancer. And then once I was done with surgery, I met Dr. Dole through one of my daughters who was working at UW who had a friend who was a doctor and I got to meet Dr. Dole. So after my four rounds of chemo and three rounds of brachytherapy, Dr. Dole said, hey, I'm starting this research. You want to be a patient partner? And I was like, what? I didn't say what's that. I just said, sure, I want to do it. And then we started Econa in December of 2017. So I've learned what a patient partner is and I've learned what an oncologist is, which I didn't know when I was diagnosed, but that's how I met Dr. Dahl and then met Adrian in January
1: of 2018. Wonderful.
5: And Sean? Hi, I'm Sean. I was diagnosed with endometrial cancer stage three in March of 2017. Had my surgery in August of the same year and started treatment soon after. After six rounds of chemo and 35 rounds of radiation, I'm proud to say I'm Ned, N-E-D. i am ned I met Ekana in 2020. It was a continual search trying to find groups. The most I found was one group called Hista Sisters that was dealing with women who had endometrial cancer, but I didn't find any black women that were dealing with Endometrial cancer and stumbled across ICANA through the Survivor Sanctuary, which is also a part of ICANA. It's a meditation, yoga, light exercise program that ICANA has. And it was with Margie who we was emailing each other back and forth for like six months <laughs> before I finally said, Okay, I'm coming in. And from there, I became a part of ICANA and became a part of the ambassador program and a part of their sister study where we mentor like-minded women same women going through endometrial cancer going through their treatments and stuff
1: thank you all for introducing yourselves the first question i have is what is endometrial cancer because we're going to have some listeners who don't know so what is endometrial cancer
5: well endometrial cancer is the endometrium which is the lining of the uterus that's what it's the cancer of, cancer of the lining of the uterus, where one rogue cell decides to take over and multiply. That's pretty much the gist of endometrial cancer. And if it's not caught in a timely manner, it can spread beyond the endometrium into the muscle of the uterus and then furthermore into the fallopian tubes and the ovaries and the cervix and then beyond. That's where you get those different stages. Am I correct, lady?
4: Very good, Sean. And I was thinking, one of the first things that my first ultrasound that I had, she goes, your uterine lining is a little thick. We're going to watch that. That's what I was told. And then by the next time I got another ultrasound, it was like, oh, no, I'm a little concerned because your uterine lining is really thick.
1: Among women who have gone through menopause, professional organizations have stated that the normal endometrium measures four to five millimeters or less. However, research led by ECADA has shown that this cutoff may not be suitable for Black women and can lead to over 50% of endometrial cancer cases left undiagnosed.
4: And because I'm a healthy person, I didn't do anything. I didn't really think much about it besides, so, well, whatever, unthicken it. I had never heard (laughs) of endometrial cancer, and I wasn't in pain. It was the bleeding after menopause
1: that caught my attention. So you mentioned that they said they're going to watch it, right? Since there's no way to detect endometrial cancer, how long was it between when they first saw that it was a little thick and when it was really thick. Yeah. From
4: what I can remember, Ana, it's about nine months, eight or nine months. And I didn't even relate the spotting. I didn't even relate it to the fact that she told me that my uterine was a little thick because I didn't research. I just said, oh, you'll be fine. Just stay healthy, stay strong, eat good. You know, it'll go away. This is just part of menopause, which I heard a lot along the way before Finally, when I mentioned it to my um, OB-GYN doctor, she goes, oh my gosh, you should be done. I'm like, oh, should I be done? I said, well, I just those a little spot here or there. And then it started getting a little bit heavier. So I didn't even relate the two. I'd say somewhere between eight to nine months, the difference between the ultrasounds. You asked a very
3: important question, which I don't want us to miss that, is that a lot of women who are diagnosed with endometrial cancer, don't have the access to care, and don't have the type of communication from their GYN oncologist to tell them that their uterine lines are thick. That mm-hmm. wasn't a term that I heard ever, not at one time. Mm-hmm. So the fact that Margie heard that and she got that from her physician, I think was a godsend for her. But to other mm-hmm. people, we don't even get a chance to hear that. The first when we're bleeding is the first time that we ever even know that there is a problem. Yeah. Even at that point, sometimes we are still dismissed. It's a total imbalance when it comes to what we're being told in compared to what our risk factors are.
5: That's right, Because because I was one of those where my condition was dismissed. Some of the symptoms that they tell you, like spotting and heavy bleeding, I didn't have heavy bleeding. I had mm-hmm. some spotting, but guess what? Because of my weight, I was spotting all along. I always had abnormal periods, my GYN doctor at the time, he said it was because of, I forgot the term that he used, adenomyosis, if I'm pronouncing it correctly, which is a hardening of the uterus, but never said anything, never looked beyond it. When I started approaching 50, never looked at it. So at 54, I'm telling my general practitioner, she picked up on it. And she said, Miss Smith, you're complaining about cramping a lot. I'm going to send you to a GYN specialist. Now you're telling me that you went to the ER because you was in so much pain and they claim that you have fibroids, but you don't have a history of fibroids. Mm -hmm. So (laughs) as soon as the GYN specialist, which I found out was a GYN oncologist, the minute she met me, she had an assistant come in and say, we need to do a biopsy on you. A biopsy
1: is a procedure to remove a piece of tissue or a sample of cells from your body so that it can be tested in a laboratory. A biopsy of the endometrium might be recommended if you have abnormal spotting, bleeding, or other concerning symptoms. If your doctor wants to check for uterine cancer, the biopsy can usually be done in their office.
5: And I'm like, okay, fine, not realizing the detail of it. And then when I finally met her face to face, she said, the reason why I had them do a biopsy was because there was no way that you at 54 was having normal periods and showing no signs of menopause because I didn't. Mm. No mm-hmm. more than the cramping. And a lot of doctors, they when you complain about that, sometimes they brush that off. They just brush it off and just put it on this one particular thing. I know for me, before what took me so long to even go to, to
2: the doctor was because of financial insurance, stuff like that. Helped me even from going to the doctor. And so when I finally got the insurance and went to the doctor, I had already been through menopause at 45 and I went because I was spotting. I had already been through menopause, hadn't had a menstrual in um, a few years. Then all of a sudden I started spotting and then it, started continually and it didn't stop for at least about a month. And I'm like, okay. So the insurance kicked in, went to the doctor. And one of the things that she said at first, when I told her I suck was they were checking and they was like, well, maybe it's menopause and maybe it's this and maybe it's that. And they went on and did the test. And I was like, no, I think it went to menopause at 45, somewhere around there. I knew my body was going through that change. And so when that came back, she said, yes, I was postmenopause. At first they did thought maybe it was a thyroid or or something like that. But when it came back, they saw that it was endometrial cancer. Mm -hmm. And when I heard the word, I was like, oh, okay. But I had never heard of endometrial cancer. I heard of every other cancer. And like my sisters here, I was also looking for groups or something that I can connect to. I connected on Facebook, but I was trying to connect with other groups not only just with women, but women like me. And I know the first thing I called an agency and they tried to connect me with a male, even knowing what cancer that I had. And I'm like, okay, nope, no, thank you.
1: (laughs) Where's the uterus?
2: Where's the uterus? (laughs) And what can you do for me? So it was finding that type of stuff that even uh, makes me be more vocal and more, inclusive in getting other women to talk about what they're going through and then talking about this with other women.
1: Just to quickly recap, you guys are giving a lot of really important information. One, in terms of symptoms that people should watch out for The most common is probably bleeding after menopause. So that sounds like number one. Then, Sean, you're cramping, right? Cramping that's just abnormal, that's frequent, sounds like number two. Are there any other symptoms that people can watch out for that should send them to the doctor? I was
2: also fatigued. Very, very tired. I would go to work, go through work. I was tired. I would come home. I had just no energy. So with, along with the cramps and the energy, there was, I mean, my energy was just depleting.
5: Some women may mm. experience a hardening in their stomach, their abdomen, the lower part, you know, that makes it uncomfortable for them to lay down. You sleep on your stomach, it might make it very uncomfortable for you to do that.
3: Yeah. I, and I always say the biggest symptom to look out for is for just your specialists your providers, not listening to Mm -hmm. the issues that you're having and attributing them to the right thing. That is one of the biggest symptoms that contribute to our higher mentality rates in this cancer than other women is the fact that we are not listened to and that our experiences are normalized. Being perimenopausal, having heavy bleeding, being overweight. And fibroids, right? All the things that they tell us is normal are all the things that can lead to our incidences of endometrial cancer and put us at risk of death. Yeah.
5: Well, even being told that you have endometriosis, the harsh reality is you've lived in your body X number of years. You know when something's off. Mm -hmm. You know something's off. And just like Adrian said, a, a lot of doctors don't listen like i I always said this if my male doctor had listened to me at that time maybe we would have caught it at stage one Mm -hmm. instead of stage three i already had a precondition you know you're telling me obesity is at risk but here i am now menopausal age and you're telling me oh there's nothing wrong with you your fsh levels are normal and i'm like why am i cramping so bad i mean there were moments where The minute I saw a spot, I would start crying because I knew what was coming. Mm. I knew I was going to be in intense pain. And you're telling me it's because of this one condition and you're not even looking at it further. But then I said, that's my fault, because when I found a lump in my breast and he told me, I think it's just fat. But Mm. if you want to pay for the menopause, I mean, to pay for the Mm.
4: mammogram, Mm. mammogram,
5: that should have been my red flag right there to find another Mm. doctor.
4: Wow. Well, you know, inside, we want to trust doctors. We want to trust people in authority who have gone to school, that have read the books, that know this stuff. You respect your doctor. You listen to what the doctor yes. says. You do what the doctor says to do. Well, What does the doctor say? You know, but we know, we know different now.
5: Yes, indeed. And we have to stop going on blind faith. Like Margie said, you put in the time to study, Mm -hmm. dedicated your lives to this. But there are some doctors that just won't listen to us. If you find a doctor like that, you need to start searching for someone else. Mm
2: -hmm.
5: You really do because, hey, it almost costs all of our lives.
2: Some of them, it's not that they just don't listen and some of them just don't care as care. as they should. They don't really care. They
3: don't Mm -hmm. really can. And that's why we're here to educate each other, right? Each of us have gone through these cancers, through these symptoms, through navigating the waters of communicating with providers in the proper way. We've learned all the mistakes so we can tell the next woman what she doesn't have to do, what she does not have to tolerate, right? Mm -hmm. We give them the language and you also provide them with the support that they need in order to go into their provider's office and say, hey, Why aren't we looking at this? You know what? I think my symptoms kind of line up to something that I've heard of before. What is this thing called endometrial cancer that Mm -hmm. none of us had heard of prior to us Mm -hmm. being diagnosed? That's what we're here to do. We're here to educate the next black woman.
4: There's power with knowledge. So whatever we can share exactly what you just said, Sean, that, you know, that was my red flag. But it was like, okay, okay we're going to give you some more information. So before that red flag comes up, you know, you're gone. Yeah. Like, Just if you're just flat out uncomfortable and don't know why, just go find another doctor, get another opinion. That's and right. because of my girls, I got three opinions and Dr. Dole ended up being my third opinion person that I talked to about my cancer.
0: One recurring thing that I'm hearing from you all and also heard from people before is this abnormal bleeding. And I think, it's this postman puzzle bleeding and i believe that it's one of those things that there's always an excuse or another answer that someone gives as to why you shouldn't worry about it you've all said it in bits and pieces and we just throw out those excuses and why people should not listen to it like if they say oh it's fibroids i can't really show you said they said you have fibroids but you never had a history of fibroids that doesn't add up but what kind of non other reasons to hear that people should be wary of and not just take it and stop
4: it's part of menopause yeah we're still in menopause
5: or oh, your weight is the reason why yeah your menses is going haywire now it may have something to do with it it might now in some cases it does have an effect but not every time
4: yeah. mm. not
5: every time and if you've already stopped You've already gone through menopause and then all of a sudden you're having what they call a breakthrough. No, you need to look into that. Yeah, And that's what mine was.
2: Like I said, at 45 is when I went through, when I found out about the intermetrial, I was going into my 50th birthday. So that was five years after when the bleeding had started. And I had not had a even a bleeding in maybe a year or two or a year and a half. But like I said, the thing that stopped me from even going is not having the insurance, having a job that Mm -hmm. had insurance that cost me more than half my check, Mm -hmm. every paycheck. And it's like, okay, I can't get that.
3: And things like missed periods. I mean, somehow or another, I don't know where we got to a point where we decided we wanted to normalize things that should be classified in our reproductive cycle as abnormal. When we are seeing our OBGYNs and we're talking to them about the irregularity of our menstrual cycle, that should tell them that there might be something, right? That Mm -hmm. I might be at risk for. We get pap smears to let us know whether or not we have abnormal cells that put us at risk for cervical cancer. Because we have no diagnostic testing for endometrial cancer, the only thing that they have to attribute to our risk factor for this particular cancer is our word, is our history. And if our history is telling you these things, this is something you should now start begin to educate us about and maybe put in your own head when we should start looking. Well, let's make sure that Adrian isn't at higher risk for endometrial cancer because of Mm -hmm. Sean is not at risk for endometrial cancer because of all of the things she's already told us that we know in her history. Mm -hmm. You know, we give it all to you when we land on there inside those stirrups. And it's yeah. up to you to give back to us what it is that you see, but also what it is that you hear. And we're telling you the
2: truth. Just you just gotta believe us.
1: Believe uh, black women. Yes. yes.
2: <laughs> That's good. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes.
5: And I think that at a certain age, mm. you should automatically have a biopsy done as a marker to say okay we did a biopsy in 2022 and it was Mm -hmm. normal has anything changed during that Mm -hmm. time have you been having spotting cramping have you gone completely through menopause yeah and started bleeding again we need to ask those Uh, yes
1: along the lines of what you're saying sean i think what you're touching on is Like Adrian said, there are no diagnostic tests, and we're trying to figure out how do we catch this early? Dr. Dahl, that you guys have talked about, has talked about how the tool we rely on, ultrasound, does not perform as well for Black women. This is because many Black women have fibroids that can make it difficult to see the endometrium well on ultrasound. So I know she's doing a study looking at in what ways do we have to change how the guidance for ultrasounds and how thick the endometrium needs to be in order for it to trigger someone to say, hey, there's a problem. And then just quickly, you know, in terms of risk factors, we touched on the risk factors. Obesity is one risk factor, a history of polycystic ovarian syndrome, PCOS, In addition, diabetes, we know, is a risk factor for endometrial cancer and family history, right? And not just if you have a family history of someone who's had endometrial cancer, if there are people in your family who've had colorectal cancer, because there are, you know, syndromes. It's called Lynch syndrome that connects the two. I want our, you know, black women to be educated about these are the different things that I should be aware of so that when I go to the doctor, Even if they aren't thinking about, oh, you might be at a higher risk for endometrial cancer, I'm thinking about it. So now I want us to get into, why are we here today talking about endometrial cancer in Black women? What's the status? What's the state of that disease in Black women?
4: That would be that Black women are dying at higher rates than white women. White women are diagnosed more, but they're surviving more. And that is one of our major goals is that we want to educate black women so that they can have some knowledge, which gives them power and confidence to be able to look the doctor in the eye and say, thank you, but I'm going to get another opinion and Mm -hmm. walk out instead of Mm -hmm. sitting there feeling like, you know, you're being chopped up and chewed out and, you know, spewed out. And one of the things I got all the time before they saw me, I was 58 at the time. I'm 64 now. And I walk in, and they go, where are your list of medications? You don't have high blood pressure? Wait, you don't have diabetes? I got that so many times. I said, I don't have a list of medications. I take one thyroid pill. I don't have high blood pressure, and I don't have diabetes. Before they could even say it. But they've already looked at my record, right? And just assume, oh, 58-year-old black woman. I was so done with that by the third or fourth visit. I was like, why do they keep saying this over and over again? But that's the thing is that we are not getting the attention that we need and the research hasn't been done we're not part of the research because of past history and that's another goal that we do in um econ research Be try to be a part of research learning about research so that we can be a part of the narrative when they're discussing this stuff about what to do
5: and don't put us in a box i walk into the office they see my size They'd see my weight and yes, I have high blood pressure and I have diabetes. I understand that. But did you know that my high blood pressure medication is at baby dosages for the past 15 years? It's been like that. So don't put an obese person in a box and just assume Mm -hmm. that all of her issues and problems are based on her weight or because of her weight. Yes, it is a risk factor, but I tell anybody quickly, my grandmother Built the same way as I am, 95 years old is when she passed. She did not have high blood pressure. She did not have diabetes and she did not have endometrial cancer.
2: I totally agree is do not put everybody in this cookie cutter box because I'm one too. They they kept asking for all the pills and it's like, okay, I don't have any pills. (laughs) And, And I was, I am overweight. And I didn't have any pills, but that is one of the things. And my grandmother, whom now that I walked through endometrial, I believe that that's what she had. And that was never known to us, but she was in the hospital, stomach bloating up and all of this stuff. And she was a small woman, a very healthy, small woman. So it's like, take us out of this box and get to know us. The reason why we're having this
3: conversation, ladies, and the reason why I kinda it kind of had to come was because so many Black women being overlooked for this disease. And because we we're mm-hmm. overlooked for this disease, we were dying of this disease. So, again, we don't want to be put into a box, but I want you to be frank with us. Be frank with yourselves in knowing yes. that this is a disease that is causing more Black women in their lives than any other race. So when we exhibit those symptoms to you, yes. let's rule out endometrial cancer. And that is what I would challenge any doctor to do. When black women come before you and we're telling you our stories and we're telling you our symptoms, and we could tell you three or four women that are also have these particular symptoms and have also had this mm-hmm. diagnosis, don't dismiss us by saying, but yeah, but that's not you. What you yeah. got is... Well, how about did we do this, Miss Moore? How about we do this, Miss Smith? How about we do this, Ms. Hopkins? Yes. Let's rule you out for having to meet your cancer yes. before I dismiss the fact that you have ever even been here with the symptoms mm-hmm. that you mm-hmm. have. So good. I like
0: that. Don't exclude us before including us, before us. Yeah. Yes. I love that. I love yes. that. <laughs> <laughs>
3: yes.
0: <Something>. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> there was something that you all said about looking for when we're, you introducing yourselves and your relationships to Canada or how you found it, you were all looking for a support group of people that were like you, Black women. Mm-hmm. Someone can say, endometrial cancers, is endometrial cancer, it's hurting everyone. Different rates could be due to different things we don't know. But why is it important for you to find such a support group that was Black women, not just one that had women? What was it about that it kind of could provide that others couldn't necessarily?
2: For me, it was familiarity, the background, the walk, the things that we do, the things that we eat, the things we may have went through that our other counterparts may have never went through. Yes, I want to talk to every woman, but my heart is to talk to women that looks like me. Because like we've said before, I never heard of intrametrial cancer. If I talk to more than half of the Black women that I know, they're going to say, well, what's that? Yeah. What is that? Mm-hmm. My doctor was a beautiful, tall Black woman from Africa. <laughs> Loved her. And she understood the fact that in her battle, even as a doctor, as a woman doctor One, and as a Black woman doctor One, she has to battle with those other male counterparts and those Caucasian counterparts that's with her. So she understands in that, even what I'm going through as a patient, she's going through that same thing as a doctor. So it's like that familiarity that we all have and that connection. You just feel connected.
5: Yeah, to see another face that has yeah. actually gone through. Cause I know for me, it was a lonely journey. You know, those first couple of years, I didn't find anybody. You know, and the one group was a writer's group. In the hospital, they would have in their cancer groups, but when I walked in there to start, I was the only chocolate drop <laughs> in the room, and most of the women they had breast cancer. Everybody else, the cancer, the immune system, and blood cancers and stuff like that. I didn't have anybody, especially anyone that looked like me, so it was. It was lonely. I'm not going to start crying. Don't y'all start teasing me. <laughs> it's okay. It's oh, a safe
2: space. Don't, deep y'all deep. Start,
5: don't y'all start teasing me. But <laughs> it was. It was to walk in there by yourself, not have anybody to talk to, not even cervical cancer, because at least I can say that's something I can, I can kind of connect we'll with, belt. <laughs> you know. But, yeah. I'm
4: kind of like Mickey. I enjoy just that we have so much in common as Black women Mm -hmm. versus being in a room of others all the time. I love my space in Survivor Sanctuary where the screen is just Black women.
1: And to wrap this up, you all talked about the importance of clinical trials and research. We know that with the way things are right now, White women who get endometrial cancer, 86% of them will be alive at five years. Black women who get endometrial cancer, we're looking at 62% of them will be alive. So when we have statistics like that, it's imperative that research gets done, that questions are asked. And I know that Akana is at the forefront. Um, Sean, you mentioned the sister study that is happening. Can you mm-hmm. talk a little bit more? about the SISTER study, and also why is it important to do research on Black endometrial cancer patients?
5: The SISTER study is geared towards mentoring and giving support to those women who have been diagnosed and are going through treatment with endometrial cancer, because we believe that if they have the support, if they can see someone like us who have actually gone through it and came out on the other side, that these women are more likely to finish their treatment, first of all, and better prepare them. And we're learning to handle cancer on our terms, not because you say, oh, you have cancer and this is how it's gonna be. No, 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 no. Something as simple as I'm taking Taxol, so I know I'm gonna lose my hair Something as simple as having control as to when I'm going to lose it, or if I'm going to just shave my head bald and keep it moving, knowing that you have somebody who's been through that and able to help you walk through that process. Because I don't care what anybody say, cancer is traumatic. And for a Black woman to be told that she is going to lose her womb, the very essence that makes us women that could be a very traumatic experience that is a traumatic experience
4: mm-hmm.
5: and some women just give up yeah and we want them to know no baby that doesn't stop you from being a woman yeah. that doesn't stop you from being fabulous don't worry about your hair you're going to be even more gorgeous than you were when you had it mm-hmm. and you will get through this why because I got through it Adrian got through it Mickey got through it. Margie got through it. You will get through this. And we're here to back you up. I'm your rock. You lean on me. I'm going to lean on Adrian. Adrian going to lean on Margie. Trust me, you got a support system. You're not going through this alone. So I need you to finish your treatments. And while you're finishing and going through your treatments, we're going to show you exactly what you need to focus on. Take control of this. Yeah. Take control of it. Beautiful. Now I'm gonna cry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm
2: proud I'm of you, Sean. I have
1: you, you, you all have just blessed us today by being part of this podcast. Thank you so much, Mickey, Margie, Adrian, Sean. There are so many takeaways from this. And I firmly believe that you will save someone's life who listens to this episode. Yes, I firmly believe that. Yes, absolutely. Thank you all so much.